for whatever reason, it's going to tick your box. Push yourself physically and mentally as a human. Open your eyes to new and different adventures. Explore a country that you never would ever go to ever. Welcome to One Night in Bangkok. I'm Sav. I'm Charlie. And I'm MJ. And together, we're bringing you the crazy travel stories from around the world that never made it into the guidebooks. Cabin crew, prepare for takeoff. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. How are we doing, ladies? I'm good. <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> you lose. So today we're talking all about Kokoda, which is absolutely incredible. I'm so excited for this episode. And we are so lucky because we know a real badass friend of ours that did it, and she's such an incredible and inspiring woman, and plot twist, it's Sam! (laughs) (laughs) It's me! I feel like I've won an award. That was really nice intro. Thanks. No, so, <laughs> so yeah, I did this back in 2018. One of my very best friends kind of roped me into it and she really did have to rope me into it because if you know me, you'll know that like I'm not out there hiking every weekend. Like that's not me. I'm out there drinking every weekend. So hello. really something that's completely out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Hello, girls. Um, really something out of my comfort zone. She literally like had to make a PowerPoint presentation to convince me why I would why I should do it and what I would get out of it. And even then I was still like, "Mm, I don't know, babe, like this is a lot. But anyway, I did it and so glad because without a doubt, the best thing I've ever done in my life, I can safely say that, the most rewarding, the most challenging, just something that I would would do again even, even as hard as it was. You know, I think I've I've talked you girls into it, haven't I? We're going to do it one day together. Yeah, we're doing it. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. And look, for those that might have never heard of the word Kokoda, um, I'm here to save the day. I've got lots of information for you. I'm just going to give you an introduction to what it is, where it is, and most interestingly, I think, a bit of the history because this is something that's really significant for Australians. It's up there with Gallipoli and Turkey as somewhere that's really – culturally and historically significant it's a real part of the Australian identity this I guess this idea of like the battler and mateship and courage and all of these things that have were really on show in Kokoda so I'm really excited to share it with you guys so let me start by telling you if you don't know what Kokoda is so it's Kokoda or is actually a village but when we say Kokoda the way that we're talking about it we're referring to a track or a trail it's in Papua New Guinea um, which is about 160 kilometers north of Australia or 100 miles. It's quite close, one of our Pacific neighbors. I actually found this description online that I want to share because I love it. I think it just sums up everything. It reads, Papua New Guinea's Kokoda Track is one of the most fulfilling treks you'll find with a 96-kilometer trail cutting across razor-edge ridges and over steep towering mountains. It then descends deep into the rainforest and jungles of ferns, spectacular scenery and towering trees entwined with creepers. You'll pass through mountain streams on man-made bridges of vine and logs as the translucent water tumbles its way down into the steep valleys. And then you rest in relaxed, untouched villages where you are warmly welcomed with smiles and fresh fruit and vegetables. Doesn't that sound so lush? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, to be honest, if you just go off that description alone, it sounds like you're going to like a relaxing retreat. I don't know how. Like, I think that's misleading. I was just about to say, I'm like, that sounds very misleading. <laughs> Look. Yeah. Okay. So I just thought I'd read that first because it just, to me, that I, if I just heard that, I'd be like, sign me up. But look, let's go into the realities. So 
Yeah, I mean, all those things are true. However, let's go into some of the nitty gritty. So essentially, so it's in Papua New Guinea. It's in the Owen Stanley Ranges, which is a really rugged mountain range. You can't take vehicles across it. It cuts across Papua New Guinea and it's only, you can only go by foot tracks. One of them is the Kokoda track. So it's, I mentioned already, but it's 96 kilometers. That equates to about 50 to 70 hours of hiking. Um, and the, the, the probably wow. the biggest thing is that the hiking's not your standard hike. It's, it's most of it, large majority of it is completely uphill or completely downhill. Like to the, some parts of it are pretty much vertical. Like there were times when, when Ooh. it felt like I was rock climbing almost like it was, oh. um, yeah, quite intense. What so, about like a slide? <clears throat> Can you like slide down? <laughs> uh, like you, you look, you fall over a lot, um, because it's so slippery and muddy. So you kind of get that vibe anyway. I wouldn't worry too much about going out of your way to find the slides cause they kind of Whee! find you. <laughs> I like that. I like um, that. Yeah. But if you – so I read something that said if you total all of the uphill climbing along the track, it's more than 6,000 metres of elevation gain. That's six kilometres of ups and six kilometres of downs. Um, I'm going to die. Um, the, the, you scared me. <laughs> no, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. Um, so, the, so the trip itself <laughs> so the trip itself is eight days. That's – inclusive of about six days of actual trekking and then you've got like kind of a day either side but some of the locals do it in as little as three days whoa um and when we were doing our trip we passed a group that were actively running it like they decided they were going to run it because they're running Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like nuts. as if it's not tough enough. Like. Yeah, as if it's not enough to deal with. Um, yeah. So, look, I've mentioned that's that insane. it's steep, but I, I guess that's not – doesn't paint the whole picture. Like it's also incredibly muddy, slippery. The trails are quite narrow at times. Sometimes the steep drops come out of nowhere. There are times where the only way across somewhere is like a fallen tree or like maybe multiple fallen trees and you kind of have to either step over them or, or like kind of balance on them like a balance beam. Like there was lots of things that just were completely cooked if I'm like when I think back. But, you know, you also have like, you know, at times you'll be rock hopping through creeks. At times you're just wading through water, like thigh high water was probably the highest that it reached. Um, and then the mud just changes from like either really hard baked cracked mud to like completely like swamp, sludgy swamp and everything in between. Man. So yeah, so Did look, you get tr- to like change your shoes and stuff. Like, what's um, the vibe there? Like, don't you just have muddy, wet shoes? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you have. So you've got your <laughs> you've got your hiking boots, and look, you do your best to wash them in the stream at night, and you always have them by the fire. But yeah, look, I'll be honest. By day three or four, you just get used to like wet boots. You you Ooh. so you try and pack as little as possible, right? Because of the obvious, like. Either your porter carries your pack or – but either way, you still have a day pack, which is still about seven kilos when you when you take into account your water, your food, your everyday things. So – but one thing you do bring, I think for six days of trekking, I brought 12 pairs of socks and that's why because when your feet are wet and cold or, or wet and hot, whichever, the last thing you want to do is put them into like wet socks. So – Yes, the shoes stay wet, but you've got socks. And at nighttime, it's really nice just to take off your boots. So I had like a pair of like, I guess, you know, like reef shoes. Australians will know what I'm talking about. Like the ones with the Velcro. (laughs) Kind of like that. Like, (laughs) yeah, like reef shoes. Are they necessary? Couldn't you just take your Burks or something? Like, why do you have the reef shoes? (laughs) Okay, hear me out. Hear me out. This is why. Because mine are actually Birkenstocks. Very fitting, if you know, you know. But Mm -hmm. they actually will, because... Because what happens is you use them to go in and out of the creeks at night and to collect your water and to shower and all those things. So you need something with a 
like one that's not going to fall off your foot but two that can get wet and step on sharp rocks and things so like your average flip-flops or or like your slides aren't going to cut it do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. right I would like to paint a picture so I know that this is like necessary but it's just funny as fuck so Sav also had those pants that zip off at the knees (laughs) so you would have the zip pants and those reef shoes (laughs) did you have a pre-shell necklace as well (laughs) (laughs) okay no no one ever said no one ever said the Kokoda was sexy, all right? It's it's complete opposite of sexy. You're not showering for ten days. You don't like it's you're wearing the same clothes that you sweat in for eight hours checking. Like there's nothing sexy about Kokoda. Like just add it to the list. Like the shoes are the least of your problems, put it that way. I'm sorry, but I have the worst BO in the world. Like I'm just gonna be stanking the whole time. Like literally. I don't know if I could even I think I would probably pass out from the smell of my own pits. Like <laughs> I don't wanna put I mean, that on you. <laughs> I can't help it. I used deodorant. I'm just a sweaty gal. (laughs) Don't. Don't shame me. How dare you? (laughs) 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 Okay, so there's a few things there, right? Yes, you still wear deodorant. You also do bathe. There's no, like, and every now and then you'll come across, like, a shower, quote, unquote, but it's literally just cold water pouring on you from, like, this pipe you know it's not okay so you do wash yourself and you bathe yeah, in the stream yeah. and like you are you it's you are washing it's just not like a hot, there's definitely no hot showers and i wouldn't even yeah. say there's a so shower. what you're saying is you actually wash more than the average person in during the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> pretty much that's what i'm saying yeah exactly um okay so the trekking itself goes from april to october that's the dry season still pretty wet though like I got rained on a lot and that's because it's so humid like the humidity there averages about 80 to 95 percent so it's really even though it's the dry season it's still really humid and it's like monsoonal climate right and when it does rain it's it's quite heavy like big drops and it's quite heavy so that's the kind of environment I guess but let's not forget that it's also heavily infested with mosquitoes so you need to take malaria medication which has its own like really fun side effects not plus you will also need vaccinations (laughs) like polio typhoid hepatitis yeah the mosquitoes are one of the worst bits like uh, we had what most australians will know deet which is like considered to be the strongest insect repellent and they were still biting me so fun (laughs) (laughs) are you still wanting to go you've already agreed so i've already agreed there's no backing out now I know, oh, yeah. I've been watching MJ's face this whole time and I'm like, this podcast is not helping her come. I was like, I feel like at the end of this, she's like, actually, I'm good, guys. <laughs> this is not sound for me. Like, no, I am going to do it because especially after all the stories like you've told us, Sav, it, it's just, it sounds like the most life-changing experience and I, just, I, th- I don't think there's anything that, you know, that those kind of experiences are second to none. I think as well that, Sav, you've said this to me before and I think it's probably one of the most powerful things that make me feel like I've got to do it is that you said you've never met anyone that's done it that said they wouldn't do it again, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Except for that guy that you said that you heard about some guy that paid for the helicopter. <laughs> that scares me. Yeah. Okay, so, so let's, let's backtrack on this. This is a funny that's story. Me. So, <laughs> so one of the things that – because, you know, obviously – 
leading up to this trek, I was shitting myself. Like I'm not, you know, I did some training, but not, not as much as I should have. One of my many questions leading up to this trek was what if I just can't do it? Like what if I get two, three days in and I just physically or emotionally cannot? Like then what happens? Because then I'm stuck in the jungle, right? And Lex would say, look, that's not going to happen, one. But two, worst case scenario, you, you know, if you really don't want to go ahead, you've got two choices. You either turn around and walk back. I was like, mm. no. or you you get on the two way radio, whatever that's called, and they can call in the chopper, literally a helicopter. It, it, the cost is about five thousand US dollars, but if if oh. if you really want out, you can. That's how you get out. And I asked her. I said, "Oh, has anyone ever actually done that? Because that seems extreme." She's like, "Oh, there was this, there was this one guy. He was a bit <laughs> older. Not all ages can do Kokoda girls. I've told you this. Like, I'm like Alexis's dad did it with us. He's done it twice now." All ages. doesn't matter that he was older, but I remember the story was he was probably in his 40s or something, 50s, whatever. And, yeah, he just did the first day, which is like two, only two hours of checking. It's like like <laughs> nothing. And he literally just went, nah, like <laughs> get the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> must be nice to be able to afford to get a chopper. Must be really nice. Yeah, yeah must be really nice. Not very in touch with the common man. So only that one story scares me. Like that, that one story scares me a bit that someone was prepared to pay 5,000 US dollars to get out of there after two hours. <laughs> Other than that, knowing that everyone else said they'd do it again gives me hope. Same. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a large part of it comes down to who you do it with. That's why I'm really keen to do it with you girls because I can imagine if you were – I mean, it's not to say people do it all the time. Like they'll join a, a group tour or whatever. But a, lo- a really large part of my experience was the people that I was with, and I, you know, I trusted them. They'd done it before. Like I think that was Eric's like eleventh time doing it. Do you know what I mean? And so you just think, well, if they've done it more than once, I can do it. You know. So yeah, who knows what his story was? But yeah, he he was not having a bar of it. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, one other thing I forgot to mention because I recorded a while ago. We're also going to chat to Lummy, who is. Who was who took me on a training trek in Melbourne, and that is a very funny story that is coming up. He's also part of On Track Expeditions, which is the company that we did it with. So you'll hear a lot of cool stuff from him as well. Meet Lummy. He's one of the owners of On Track Expeditions, as well as one of the trusty Kokoda guides. He bravely agreed to meet up with Sav in Victoria before her trek to give her a taste of what was to come. And this is his story. Lummy, thank you so much and welcome to One Night in Bangkok. It's so good to see you again. Thanks, Sam. It's been a while. Yeah, it's time. been so long. Last Literally, time we were having when was a, last we time we little, saw each other? We went for just we went for a little walk. That was the last time. <laughs> a we little walk. Out. It was just a little stroll up a hill. Um, <laughs> and then you went and smashed Kokoda and, and then you came back and was like, Australia, whatever, and left it. So. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. So, all right, let's let's give some context here. So at this point, when I first met you, Lex had talked me into Kokoda, as she does. She's very yeah. persuasive. She talked me into it. But it got to a certain point when I realized that I hadn't actually done any training and it was getting close-ish. And I thought, okay. And I, was, I, was, I remember saying this to Lex, like, oh, I've got to start doing something. Like, I, you know, I think it's important to say I wasn't a hiker. I, I wasn't even – doing any I'm definitely like yeah you're laughing because you know this but for people that don't know I'm not a hiker you were working working out but you're working out other facets of your life like social sides of life consumption side Uh of life but just maybe not (laughs) the fitness and hiking side of life and that's exactly exactly so 
And I remember Lex said, oh, actually, Lobby's down in Melbourne. He does these like periodic kind of training hikes. Um, and I guess I should let you say, how many times have you done Kokoda? You've got a bit of experience. Uh, uh, Kokoda is just hit double figures. So, yeah, around 10 or 11, I think. I've been over to PNG a bit more um, where I've done sections of the track and visited villages and helicoptered in and out and things for operational regions. But the track from end to end, yeah, just hit about double figures now. Just so a couple of times. You've got a bit of experience with it. Okay, so so Lex said, look, he'll, um, you know, I know that Lummy's doing these training hikes. Like, take his number, reach out. He'd, I'm sure he'd be so happy to have you. And I, uh, and I thought, okay, this is going to be good. I'll ease into the training with a nice, <laughs> a nice little walk, as you put it. So tell us about this walk. All right, sweet. So with Kokoda training, it's best to do like training. It's what we call like training. So expedition ready, we like to consider people to be before they go. So we like to put people in a situation or situations building up to their trek where they may experience walking that is almost harder than Kokoda itself. I'm a believer that Kokoda is 60% mental, 40% physical. I'm a big believer in the headspace and how you use your brain in adversity and perseverance. So I like to throw people in the deep end straight away. And you hit me up, hey, mate, let's go for a walk. I'm like, no stress. I'll go for a walk with anybody, anywhere, anybody. <laughs> so this place out of here, just out of Melbourne, Hillsville, it's about an hour and a half drive, lovely spot. So you've got Four Pillars Gin out there, right? We're talking one of the most mm. prestige gin companies in Australia. Hey, if you're listening, guys, love your gin. Um, and shout out. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the gin crew. How good gin makes you cry and happy at the same time. <laughs> the ultimate ultimate beverage and um it's out that way it's a beautiful region in the world for anybody who hasn't been there it's pristine australian cooler australian climates and mount juliet is our place of pain mount juliet is one of victoria's highest elevating walks so from the start point to the top point the elevation you climb over two kilometers is over a thousand meters it's it's stupid but it's good but it's good like training because i need to put you in a situation that is beyond the situation you're going to put yourself into because if you can do Mount Juliet, then you can do Kokoda. So in the industry... I, should, I, I just want to jump in here, though, and say that that was not the way it was sold. I know. <laughs> I but th- if I told I th- you the truth, you wouldn't do it. If Lex told you the truth about Kokoda, you wouldn't have done it. But the point is, is you did it and you're sitting here talking about doing this amazing <laughs> trek in the Papua New Guinea jungle, paying homage to... 80 years of Australian war history, respecting villages, learning your cultures, that if you knew the truth, you wouldn't have done it. But because you didn't right. know the truth, you achieved it. So Mount <laughs> Juliet, and, and there's some of us in this industry, industry, maybe not in the industry, there's, there's some of us who like to colourfully call it, and there's a language warning on this one, uh, we call it fuck hill. Because you spend <laughs> most of your time saying those two words on the way up or on the way down. There's no view at the top. There's, there's no views on the way up or way down. It's just a hill of pain. And the purpose to do this is for three, four hours, depending on how long you take. I won't delve into the people how long it took you and I to get up the top. One eternity later. But, <laughs> but you get up the top and you're knackered. You're like, you're kidding me. And then you go back down. What people don't realise, walking downhill is harder than walking uphill. I believe. Yeah. I'll walk up a hill any day. It's slower. And it's going to burn you, but it's not too bad. But walking down hurts your knees, hurts your joints, you slip over, you hurt yourself. So the point of going to Mount Juliet is putting you in a situation that's very similar to Kokoda to show that you could do that so that when you hit the Kokoda track, you're like, I did Mount Juliet, whatever, <laughs> and you smash Kokoda. And that was our walk for maybe six hours that day. 
Can you tell people a little? <laughs> so this is the first time that we met. Yep. Can you tell them a little bit about how I handled this hike? Okay, so <laughs> what was from your view? Right. Oh, cool. So I have a I have a two year old daughter at home, a uh, nearly two year old daughter, <laughs> beautiful little Charlie May. And when Charlie May doesn't get what she wants to eat, or doesn't get the toy she wants, or doesn't get the book she wants, she has a tantrum. And <laughs> the good thing is, is I know how to handle her tantrums because it was nothing like the tantrum you did, mate. The cot <laughs> was out, the the dummy was out of the cot. <laughs> You were like, I can't do that. And and I'm saying this in all honesty. I'm not saying it's disrespect or take the piss. I'm saying it's all honesty. And I'm saying it because I know you can take it, Sav, because you know it's true. Yeah. I want a cigarette. I don't want to do this. Lummy, it's hard. I don't want to do this. I can't do it. Now, I like to think I can be, at times, a good guide and, and, you know, I'm a good person, so. We worked through strategies. We worked through strategies. We took 10 steps at a time. We took a rest and we had a breathe. Then we found a tree and we, we went from where we were working to the next tree. And we got to that tree. We turned around and tried to find the view and understand why we're doing it. And then I try mind games. So I ask you questions like, hey, tell me about work. What do you do for work? Do you have a partner? What's his or her name? What sort of car do you arrive? Oh, you don't drive a car. That's weird. All right. You know, you play in people's psyches to try and get them through situations now. I pulled out all my bags of tricks for you. I pulled out everything. <laughs> and with about half an hour to go, I was legitimately thinking to myself, oh, she's fucked. <laughs> this isn't, isn't going to happen. Oh, and I'm thinking to myself. No, because I, 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 from my perspective, yeah, everything you've said is accurate. But I just remember being so terrified because – I was under the impression, this hike to me was like, okay, this is like just training for Kokoda. So Kokoda is yeah. going to be harder than this is, is what I had believed. And do- doing this <laughs> fucked hike, I literally oh, yeah. like, the- I was just paralyzed by fear thinking if this is Kokoda, I agree with you. I thought I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. It's, yeah. in- it's impossible. I took you on 10 meter diving board. You've never swam in your life and you hate heights and I pushed you off. Yeah, exactly. That's basically the situation now. That people, is exactly what happened. People, <laughs> people may listen and go, well, that's risky and that's not, you know, you shouldn't do it to people and all that. At the same time, I'd been given context about you from Lex, who's known <laughs> you for a very long time. And she's like, Sav's very headstrong. She's, she's, she's motivated individual. And if you can get into her mental side of things, then you will break her to a point where she knows that she will achieve. And with that, I went, right, we're going straight to Mount Juliet. We're going straight there. <laughs> it's game on. And you did it though, didn't you? I did do it. And right. I, I have to say everything that you said is true because I remember so many times doing Kokoda, I had that exact thought, like this is easier than Mount Juliet. Yep. And it was, it was in terms of the physicality and the st- and how steep it was and how like it, it was easier. And I don't know um, physically, I mean, but of course then you've got all of the other Things yeah. to continue I've got to, I've got over to a period of eight in a, days. In a squat thing, or something <laughs> yeah. I have a proper yeah. shower. I can't believe I paid thousands of dollars to do this. Why do people <laughs> do this? There's an industry for this. People make money out of this. Like, really? Wow. I'm people do it more than once. Yeah. Like, who are these? Who are these who complete sadists yeah. that yeah. do it more than once? Like, what is wrong with these? Why people? would yeah. you do this? What in your right mind? But then yeah. you do it though. And you get yourself back into Port Moresby and you have a beer and you go for a swim in the hotel pool and you go, yeah, wow, that was epic. That was amazing. That was inspiring. I learned so much about myself. And that's probably the biggest thing for us. We take a lot of youth, a lot of risk, youth at risk. We take a lot of, you know, 16, 17-year-olds across the track of part of school groups. And it's about that building resilience for them. 
and the training hurts and the preparation sucks a bit, but the outcomes are exponential to people's development as humans. And I think that's why people do it because they know the reward at the end. It sucks at the time, but at the end, it's amazing. Yeah, 100%. What kind of advice would you give someone that is thinking about doing Kokoda? What sort of things should they think about or what do you think is important to consider? I think the biggest thing people think, I mean, look at the world we're in right now with with, with a global pandemic and, and the travel industry absolutely buckled. You know, we, we as a company, our company has, has felt this really hard. And I think for people, I speak, I speak to a lot of people pre-COVID and now who always say to me, I want to do Kokoda, it's on my list, it's on my list. Cool, you got a list, just do it. The more you think about it, the harder mm. it is to do something. Just do it! We as a company and every other reputable company across Australia or any PNG who facilitate these, do it to the highest level of risk adversity possible. So we are ticking those boxes. We're making sure you're happy, you're healthy, you're in a safe place, you're in a safe environment. So when people think risk, right now we're getting caught, we know COVID numbers get thrown at you and all these numbers around everything. It all comes down to risk and elements of risk. So if you think it's risky, look at the actual risk of doing something like this. The most simplest thing is you're going for a walk for eight days. The most basic fin- fundamental motor skill you've learned as a human from a toddler to an, as you've grown up is how to walk. All you're doing is going for a walk. And as soon as you think to yourself, all I'm doing is go for a walk, it's simple and it's easy, but you've got to train for it. And now don't go to Juliet straight away because that's just absolutely ridiculous. No one would ever do that in their right mind. But yeah. <laughs> train for it. I mean, who would do that? Yeah, I'm doing Kokoda in two months. I'm going to go to Juliet for my own training session. That's just ridiculous. Train for it physically <laughs> and mentally and you'll do it. But at the same time, yeah. Seth, you may not have trained as much as you could have or should have, but did you finish it? Yeah. And look, I will admit it took a few months for me to say out loud that I wanted to do that I would do it again. It, it, it took like a bit of space and time between that memory and reflecting on it and everything. But I was saying this to, to Lex and Eric earlier. I think a lot of the benefits of doing Kokoda, I've only, in, I've only really realized it and seen it with the benefit of a few years of hindsight. Like yeah. looking back at that point in my life, it was such a turning point for me. And I, I didn't see that at the time. I just thought, yeah. wow, that was incredible. But I didn't see – it's only now looking back that I think that really was like such a crucial moment for me. Yeah. People say it's a life-changing experience. Um, mm-hmm. And it is to certain elements of your life. Will it completely flip your life 180 and turn you into a completely different person? Probably not. But it will help you judge and give you a better – give you a personal perspective on yourself and in the world mm-hmm. around you. My wife's walked the track with me. And because of that, we have this commonality that we understand and respect that we don't need a whole heap of little bits and pieces in our house that mean nothing. Because we've been to a place with people who have nothing essentially to what we consider a standard as a developed country. They're the happiest people I've ever been in my life. You walk through the village of Abawari, through Minari, through Naduri, you meet these Piccaninis running around the place. They are so happy and they have nothing. What we perceive as nothing, but they have love Mm -hmm. and they have shelter and they have food, right? And that's all they need. And that's all we need as humans. So it's life-changing for everybody to a different form of capacity. For you, it's taken you a little while to develop why and how. For others, Mm -hmm. it's instantaneous. For others, it takes years down the track. So much so that you just said to me you'd consider doing it again. Is that correct? I I would 100% do it again. I can say that with certainty now. Why? Why? I think... There's so many reasons, but 
one of them is that it is genuinely this stunning, beautiful walk. And the, the more places that I travel to, like I've traveled a lot, but mm. I, I genuinely can't think of many other places that are as beautiful as, as Papua New Guinea and, and that, that part that you walk through. That's the first thing. The, the other part is being off the grid. Like I, I we spoke about this, I, sitting with your thoughts and feelings in without the option of a distraction, whether that's alcohol or TV or a podcast or whatever. We just don't do that often or I don't do that often. And it's the benefits of doing that. I think you, you discover so much about yourself and you have these moments of clarity and you let things, well, I certainly let things go that should have been let go sooner and all of these things that you just don't give yourself the space to do in your everyday life. And and also like those people that you go with, that bond is there forever. Like like yep. you said, like even just having walked it with your wife, like I feel the same level of, of connection and I do genuinely feel bonded to that group of people that I trekked with forever. And it, it's something that I would love to give to, like, you know, I've spoken to my friends Charlie and MJ about doing it and I'd love to give that to them because I know that it would just, you know, I'd love to watch someone experience that and gain everything that I've gained from it. Yeah, I get And I suppose to put on that, of every trip I've guided and been on, I still have a level of continual communications with at least one person from each of those groups that I've guided over the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it does create a bond and a kinship and that links back to, and I spoke to Eric about the history, about war, you know, mateships, they were brothers. They weren't brothers from the same mothers, but they were brothers. And our Papuan brothers and sisters, I consider them my brothers. You know, you create a relationship and a friendship and a kinship and a bondship with these people. I would find it hard for anybody in our normal world, our normal world, to create without distractions. There's no thing, there's nothing to distract you out there except for beauty. It is paradise. The only thing is, is you have to walk every day to experience it. So as soon as you get in your head, again, mentally, I'm just going for a walk. And at the end of today, I get to stay in paradise. It's worth every cent. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. Mate, I just want to get over there. But, you know. I know. And talking about this this morning, I feel this itch to just, like, go to Port Moresby and just do it again, like more than I ever have. Can you tell us about on-track expeditions? Because I I do want to make the point that I think a really large part of my experience is that everything that could have been prepared for or provided for was of such a high standard as in the – down to like the porters that we had, the setup, the the food was was much better than I had ever imagined that it would be. I've thought about it a lot over the years, or you know, since reflecting on it. Like I do think those things matter. Like the, are those things that I didn't have to think about because someone else had thought about it for me. As yep. in you guys, as in me, but as in you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think I took that for granted at the time, but I've thought about it a lot since. And so tell us a little bit about your company and and why it's important to go with people that have the experience and the knowledge and the and the connections even in Papua New Guinea. On Track Expeditions was started by two brothers, Andrew and Richard James. It started as a business uh, back in 2010. Both Andrew and Richard had guided for different companies on the Kokoda track and developed a really strong relationship with Nate and Lovell, uh, funnily known as Big Ned. Um, I'm sure you can all imagine Big Ned. His name's Ned and he's really big, chief or chief in waiting of Abawari. Um, and he ended up being their lead guide, turned into our, he takes care of all our logistics and operations in Port Moresby. And as the business grew, Andrew Richard, Andrew and Richard grew it from a, from a two or three trips a year with a couple of schools to 2019, we ran 25 Kokoda expeditions. 2020 was to see us well exceed that. Didn't happen. Life happens. 
And I suppose our mentality and our thought is that the more we can do for our clients, the better their experience is going to be. So I want all I want you to do as a client is I want you to train and prepare. We do that, hence the training walks. And I want you to bring your gear and we'll give you the gear list and we'll help you with purchasing and ideas. And I'll even meet you with the store in, in Melbourne or Sydney and Brisbane or our guides. I'll meet you and guide you through gear you need to purchase. And then we take care of the rest. Just be there and we'll take care of the rest for you. We advertise and we market as a premium small group expedition company. We were running trips, obviously, predominantly through PNG, uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, through Nepal, various things up to base camp. We uh, partnered with an Australian NGO called Solar Buddy. They do amazing work globally to illuminate futures and try to limit energy poverty around the world. So we're running trips in Vanuatu for them. And we run stuff mm. in Australia on the overland track. And so now we're at a situation where we're just running domestic options, which is predominantly the overland track in Tasmania, which is uh, Lonely Planet's 10 best walks in the world. Um, is it? Yeah, it's stunning. Cradle Mountain, Lake Sinclair National Park. Uh, it is a beautiful part of the world. It's pristine. It's World Heritage listed. So we'll, we'll run 30-odd trips there this year, which is good. And then from there, it's about trying to facilitate opportunities for people our biggest thing is, is we want to give people an opportunity to do something they never thought they could do, but do it as safely and as easily for them as possible. And I think, go back to what Richard and Andrew started back in 2010, I think we still hold very true to those values today. We've grown to some areas. I'm now operations, Richard's still a part of the business, Lex and Eric are part of the business. And from there, we develop and grow to try and create a premium experience for bespoke groups. You don't take us off the shelf because we're not on the shelf. You give us a call and we build you what you want. You want to go longer? We go longer. You want to do shorter? You do shorter. You want five-star? You want three-star accommodate? Whatever. Easy. We don't take a cookie-cutter mold to our product. It's um, almost like a tailor-made approach, right? Like you yep. can put together yep. whatever someone wants to do. And I love that flexibility as well because I think a lot of other companies are just like, this is the trip, yep. the end. Take it or leave yep. it. This is the cost, whereas this is a lot more yep. tailored. And there's companies out there, big, big, big fish, who you book through, mm-hmm. but they use another operator. It's not even their product. Mm-hmm. We own our yeah. operations. So when you book with us and you talk to me, I'm the guy who made sure the tent's there and the food's there. I That's my job to make sure everything's in the right. Lex's job is to make sure all the bookings are sorted, the hotels are sorted. We work together. So when you're booking with us, you're booking with a family company. And that's how we run and we always have. Do I want to go take over the world with travel? No, because it looks like too much work. <laughs> but do I run? Do I want to run amazing epic expeditions for people around the world, and specifically across Kokoda? Yes, and I'm happy to guide them myself because I know the value in in doing it. For me, selfishly enough, I love it so much. I want to get over there. My wife sees the value of me coming home and being a better person for it as well. Yeah. So on track, on track had to evolve as well with what's happened. You know, no word of a lie. We. We took a 98% loss of revenue last year. We're going to be at about 85% loss of revenue this year. That's travel. The travel industry is on its knees. It's buckled. 100%. But what can you do? I mean, I've had a few nights where I want to bang my head against the wall. What's the point? You can't get upset about mm. it. You just can't. Uh, I've got no control. So we just work together as a team to better what we do, to keep ensuring that our products are what we offer, be it Tasmania at the moment that is the best that we can facilitate and people are getting value for money. Yeah, absolutely. What I found really interesting, Lummy, is that especially living overseas now, I, I find myself when I try and talk about this trip, I have to even explain 
what the significance of Kokoda is, because, especially yeah. non-Australians. Well, your hard, the hard part is, is you're looking at it. You're looking at a historical walk. It's a pilgrimage for Australians, and you got to understand that there's a part of the history that the Japanese don't publicise very well, don't talk about. Of late, there's been a discussion that do we try and market to the Japanese market? Do we try and show them this place and not be scared of it and not see it as a defeat and understand that? I mean, I hate war. I don't agree with it. Uh, I don't condone it, but it's a part of our history. And if we don't tell the tales of our history, how are we as a humankind going to progress and become better? Now, mm-hmm. we're not seeing that, unfortunately, because there's still wars in the world. So we still haven't learned. But hopefully we generationally can build to a stage where we don't need to have conflict to live on this planet. So if we can bring people from, be it Japan, if we can bring people from the US, I mean, you've got, you've got Americans who served a part of the Allied forces in Northern in, in northern PNG and, and the Pacific Island region. There's no reason why they should not be coming over. There's, a, there's mm-hmm. a direct connection to that. For those who don't care about the history and don't care about any of that, come for the beauty. Come for some of the rarest bird wildlife in the world. PNG has amazing wildlife. Um, come for the people and come to support a country that unfortunately is seen in the world is not as high as respected as I believe it should be, unfortunately. And that's based on the fact of they don't have a lot of money, they've got poor health care, they've got poor education. It's not their fault. That's our fault as developing countries to put them by the wayside. So come to PNG and explore it for whatever reason it's going to tick your box. Push yourself physically and mentally as a human. Open your eyes to new and different adventures. Explore a country that you never would ever go to ever. And do it knowing that every dollar you spend with us is a dollar spent in PNG and it's done to support our local villages and the guys who work on the ground. So for mm. anyone who's looking at a, hey, I want to go somewhere that's different, don't read mainstream media that says PNG is not safe. Right? Take that, take that risk away and look at actual risk. Perceived risk and actual risk are two amazing things. The actual risks of PNG, do you know what? If I walk through Melbourne at three in the morning drunk as a skunk with my shirt off, guess what's going to happen? I'm probably going to get mugged and someone's going to steal my wallet, right? More dangerous than PNG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why would you do that in Melbourne, let alone That's my point, right? We have this perception of what's risky. PNG is safe. <laughs> PNG is fine. If and when you do it through a reputable company, be it us or be it anyone else, and make sure you're booking with the right people who will show you and protect you while you're there. On that, one of the biggest surprises for me was how beautiful Papua New Guinea is because I I had the same perception. I didn't really do too much Googling. I I wanted to view it just as it was and I didn't want to have any kind of preconceived ideas of what, what, you know, I didn't want to see any photos or anything beforehand, so I I minimised that. But it's stunning. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been and I just never would have imagined that prior to going there. We talk about, they talk about, you know, the Amazon being the last frontier of, of, of village, you know, of, of tribes in Amazon having no human connection. The last frontier is Western Papua. There are people living in Western Papua who don't have phone reception, who don't have TVs, mm. who literally still are hunters and gatherers. The last frontier is Western Papua. And the adversities they face because of border controls, and I don't want to get into politics, is, is again drives down the opportunity for this country to, to, to be bigger than it is or, or better than it's perceived. You know, they, they cop some pretty bad headlines in Australia with COVID and everything like that. And I don't think it helps. And I don't think there's any reason or rhyme to it. 
in Moresby, yeah, Mel- Moresby's not the most aesthetic city in the world. Um, you don't you don't do a walkabout tour of Moresby too quickly. Um, no. But you get it. <laughs> Marla, I've been on that. You've been to how many cities around the world? There are some cities. There's New York stunning, amazing, right? Sydney, beautiful. Melbourne, yeah. But there are other cities where you're kind of like, yeah, I can't wait to get out of here. I mean, San Jose and Costa Rica didn't really do it for me, you know. But as soon as I got out, mind-blowing. It's the same with PNG mm. and the same with – same with Port Moresby. As soon as you get out to those outer regions and the people, they they will mm-hmm. they will do everything and anything for you because they want you there and they want you to be safe because if you're safe and you're happy, you go home and tell your friends and then more people come back. They see the benefit of travel and when we open up, when we open up and when we can get back there, I hope I can take as many people as possible and show them how beautiful the place is. Lummy, tell people how to find you. If they want more information on the Overland track, Australians can't leave the country right now. So if I was in Australia, I, that's what I'd be, that would be my next trip. I think that would be incredible. Or if they want more information about Kokoda when it opens up, where can they find you and what should they do? Easy. So as always, jump on the website, uh, ontrackexpeditions.com.au. Jump on your socials at ontrack. Uh, on track expeditions both through Facebook and Instagram and see what we're doing there. The other one is just email myself and Lex directly. We we are the people in the business. We are the people who answer the phones. We are the people who do the emails. In terms of overland, you know, your season runs from October through to April. So we're taking advantage of those warmer months. We do run trips in the middle of winter in Tasmania in the snow. There are people who want that and are chasing that. Mm. Hey, you want that real hardcore experience and you've got some experience in hiking, <laughs> give us a shout, definitely. Sav, I'm looking at you. You're coming for a walk through the snow. <laughs> no, no, no. You no lost me at snow. <laughs> you, you definitely oh, lost me at snow. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I do get quoted again before I would do that. No, God, please, no, no. If, even if there's something that's not on our website or something that's not there, just hit us. When the world opens up, we can and we'll take you anywhere. There's no limits as long as we can book it and we'll do it safely, happily. And you'll know that you're booking with, again, just an Aussie family company who's just living the dream. Living the dream. We'll make sure to put all of those links and ways to find you guys in the show notes as well. So if anyone's got any questions about anything, like you say, it doesn't have to be something that's already on there. If you want your next adventure, then yeah, 100%. Can't recommend it enough. And certainly like people have asked me a lot of questions about Kokoda and a lot of the questions are about the logistics. And I said, that was all taken care of. So it is important, I think, with something like this that you know exactly what you're getting and that it's going to be secure, productive, that it's paying back the local community as well. I love that you guys have a focus on that. I think it's so important for somewhere like Papua New Guinea. So Thanks so much, Lummy. I never thought I'd thank you for that hike, but I guess here I am doing it. (laughs) You want to do it again? Thanks for my training. Would you come for a walk? Would you do it one more time? What about if we went went by gin and we got some gin and we had some gin on the way up and some gin on the way down? Would you do it then? The only, okay, that's the only way, Lummy. If if you, if we go to Four Pillars Gin first, we have a few gins or after or both. And I think if nothing else, it'd be really interesting to see how much of my experience of that hike was perception. As in now that I've done Kokoda and I've, I know what to expect with that mountain. And and, and like, I just wonder, I probably would handle it a lot better. It'd be interesting to compare the two experiences. Like it would be a nice little kind of, I guess, a bookend. Let's do it. Lock it in. Get 
<laughs> all right, well, I'll, I'll I'll take be... for hotel quarantine. Get <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say all I need is three grand for hotel quarantine, and oh, oh yeah, um, the arrival cuts you lifted. Yeah, yeah, you'd be right. We're letting everyone in now. Come to Australia. We're letting them all in. Just get in here. <sighs> Thanks so much, Lummy. It's been so good to talk to you and see you again. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Sav. Great for a chat, mate, and take care. Thanks for listening, everyone. That is part one of our Kokoda episode. Surprise! We're actually back next week. <laughs> <laughs> With part two. After saying that went only fortnightly. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't last long at all. (laughs) See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of One Night in Bangkok. If you have a crazy travel story, tell us about it. You can send us an email. Tell us at onenightinbkk.com or hit us up on Instagram at onenightinbkkpodcast. This podcast was born from our shared love of travel and everything it adds to our lives. Until next time, we'll leave you with a snippet of how travel has changed you. I don't know, it's just made me realise how much fun it is like to go to a new place, meet new people. 